This is a sermon podcast of the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org. Would you take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 3. 1 Corinthians, chapter 3. I have planned out uh, much of my year in preaching, and uh, I am so looking forward to uh, some of the series that uh, we will be uh, going through. We'll be doing something on finances coming soon. Uh, I'm going to be talking uh, extensively this year on the, on the matter of depression. Uh, we'll also be doing some other studies together, uh, but in preparation and getting ready for the proper timing of those series, I'm going to be spending both morning and evening, uh, basically through the month of January, going straight through 1 Corinthians. And, uh, and so, um, uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this because the, the, the series title of my sermon series through 1 Corinthians is called Saints Together. The whole drive of this book and 2 Corinthians 2, for that matter, was Paul addressing a whole church that had been ravaged by divisions, worldliness, living in the flesh, confusion, idolatry, all sorts of things. The same sorts of things that happen to every church here in America. We are as prone to it as anybody. The church down the street is prone to it. There is no church that's ever immune from the issues that Paul addressed with the Corinthian church. It is wise for us to take our time to read through, digest Paul's letter to this church. A beautiful church, a glorious church. It was Christ's church. And learn the lessons that he was giving to this congregation and say, you know what? Maybe there are some things that we can do. Maybe there are some things that, that we have fallen short of as a congregation, as a church, as saints together. In the opening verses of this letter, uh, we studied months ago as we got started, he called them saints. You are saints, church. Sometimes we, we look at a situation that was happening in a church like Corinth. Well, how in the world can they even be saved? Well, they were. They were believers in Christ. But they just had some issues to work through. I promise you, as long as we have air in our lungs and as long as we have life to live and we're doing it together, we're going to have issues to walk through. But the good news is some of them are preventable. Some of them we can do something about before they ever happen. Some storms can actually be stopped before they wreak havoc. September 1999, in eastern North Carolina, news came on. The weather forecaster said, guys, there's a storm and it's coming. We don't know the exact track of it yet, but it's coming. It looks like this storm may come our way. Days ticked by, and as they did, the the forecasters said, yeah, this is a storm, and and now it's got a name. It's called Floyd. And it's getting bigger, guys, so just be prepared. A few more days ticked by, and and this storm, a well-developed eye, and, and just... A massive storm began inching further and further up the coast. And it hit right along the I-95 corridor in eastern North Carolina. Right right around Rocky Mountain Princeville was where it hit worst. Around 50 people killed right there. And here I am, I'm looking at the storm damage and looking at, I'm not just looking at damaged property, I'm looking at lives that will never be the same ever again, ever. When you see an entire home lifted up off its foundation and then carried a ways, not down a river, but down a street. 
and then sat down on, on automobiles, lopsided. When you look at the tops of trees and you see litter and garbage and pillows and chairs and linens, people's lives scattered. And then uh, the powers that be come in and say, God, this was a 500-year flood. There's some of this property you will never build on ever again. So yeah, some folks were displaced by that storm and they can never go home ever again. It was brutal. There was nothing you could have done about that storm. There was nothing that could have ever, you can't prevent the hurricane. You can't say some magic words or do some magical whatever and it goes out to sea. But you know what? Divisions in the church are sometimes a result of a perfect storm that kind of gathers and we almost never see it coming. But if, but, but, but only if we knew how to behave and react and respond in such a way, could it have been prevented? The answer is yes. Did you know that some divisions in the church can be, did you know that, that, that church arguments and, and not getting along can be prevented? You know what that's like. You've been here long enough to experience the full spectrum of church divisions. But did you know that through the word of God, we have instruction that tells us how to prevent them, how to keep them from ever happening again. There may come another storm to eastern North Carolina or another hurricane to us and ravage our livelihoods. That can be prevented. But when we carefully listen and heed the word of God and what it says to us, oh yeah, some of the storms that a church can experience can be avoided. So let's stand together. And I want to honor the reading of God's word. First Corinthians chapter three, I'm going to begin in verse one. But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, well, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Father, I will need every bit of your wisdom because I can't preach any 
passage of Scripture on my own. And nor can any of us just receive it without you opening up our hearts. Father, helping us to be receptive to your word. So God, as I declare the word, may I also receive the word. And may we all be found in obedience. But Father, where we fall short, let us be ready to repent. To confess our sins. And to find ourselves in a proper position before you. So that you will say to us, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servants. Father, may you bless the reading of the word and the preaching thereof. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You can be seated. All right, so I'm going to give you three points that are in this text. There's, there's probably more. Matter of fact, I know there is, but I'm just going to give you three. I'm going to give you three ways in which divisions, any division, I don't care what its basis is, I don't care what the subject matter is, but I'm going to give you three clear ways that divisions can be prevented. Number one is this. Divisions can be prevented by growing up. That's where it starts. That's where Paul started. Look at the text. Verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. He says to them, guys, you were so messed up that I I couldn't even talk to you like a mature believer because you would not have understood me. You were operating so much in the flesh, I had to talk to you that way. It's almost as if he was saying, I'm having to talk to you as a non-believer. Look at the text. You are people of the flesh. And he calls them what? Infants in Christ. Now, what he's talking about here is the way that we refer to, 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 to people who are following Jesus. There are newborns in the faith who've, who've just been born again, right? John chapter 3, you talk, you know, Nicodemus, right, coming to Jesus at night. And he says, what must I do to be born again? So that's where that, that, that language comes from. And that's where the references come from. When you're born again, you're, you've got a, a new birth, so you're an infant in Christ. But what happens to a, a physical baby? Over time, that baby's going to grow. And it's going to behave differently, act differently. It's going to mature, et cetera, et cetera. He says, guys, you're, you're back here. You're, you're, you're still acting like you're born again. But you've been in this church for years. And you're still living like the flesh. I'm going to talk about what he means by the flesh here in just a moment. But he says, you, you're, you're infants. He says, your diet has just been milk. He says, I, I have fed you with milk, not solid food. Now, what he's also referring to is the fact that he helped plant that church. So when he came giving the gospel, that was the milk. Telling them about the glorious message of Jesus so they could repent and believe and begin to grow. Apollos came next. <coughs> Apollos was the one who came after Paul to teach. Now, Paul couldn't give meat. Because they were just newborns. He could only give milk. But he expected them later on to be able to get the meat of the word. To be able to change their diet and to begin growing. Paul said, I can't even do that. You you weren't ready for the solid food. And now you're not ready. For you're still of the flesh. What does he mean by the flesh? Well, the Corinthians had a problem of living with what was dead. You see, your flesh is dead. If you're a believer in Christ, the flesh is dead. I want you to mark down this verse, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. I want you to listen to this text. Well, let me back up to verse 5. Oh, you know what? Let me just start with verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that. If you are in Jesus, you no longer stand condemned. You don't. It's impossible if you are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what was uh, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and sin and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. So in other words, if what you're living for is fleshly, that's what you're thinking about. That's where your mind is. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So if you're living and acting spiritually, then that's where your mind is. Your your body is going to follow where your mind already is. Because listen to the next verse. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the, on the spirit is life and peace. He said, guys, your minds have been set on the flesh. You're, you're not even thinking about the Lord, the things of the Lord. You're not even thinking about growing. Paul says, if you want to heal the divisions among your among who you are you got to start growing up you got to start maturing in the faith you got to move from milk to the other things now here's what's exciting about the word of god did you know that the word of god is referred to as milk in first peter chapter 2 verse 2 it's referred to as milk but also it's referred to as the bread of life matthew chapter 4 verse 4 the, the, the word of God is also referred to as meat in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Bible even declares that the word of God is as sweet as honey in Psalm 119. You grow by eating a well-balanced diet of the word of God. That's how you start growing up. The dangers of living in the flesh, the, 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 the dangers of living and what will die is that it's dead. It's decaying. Why would you want to live in something that is decaying? Now, the text I read to you in Romans 8 is so rich in theology that to unpack it in about a minute and a half is almost impossible. But I'm going to try. What I read to you in Romans chapter 8 was basically this. Paul was telling the Roman church. He said, guys... Your flesh, your bodies will, will at one point in time in history, you will be worm food. I don't care what vault you get, what casket you get, it will eventually decay. Or you may have some nasty disease that will eat you from the inside out. In other words, you can't do anything about this physical body from dying and decaying. But because it is dying and decaying, Jesus, as the son of God, as he was able to and could, he said, I'm going to take all of sin and I'm going to put it in my flesh. That's why Jesus had to die. He died because he killed the power of sin, death, hell and the grave on the cross. So he had to become, when he became flesh, that's what he had to be. Because our flesh couldn't save us. Because the only thing that our flesh could try to do was go by the law, and we couldn't do that. The flesh was so weak. Everybody with me so far? Okay. So Jesus died on the cross. He took all of sin, death, hell, the grave. He wrapped it up in his flesh. He died. Your flesh will die. Why do you want to continue living? How many of you want to live by something that's dead or dying? I don't. I don't. I, we had a, my wife and I, we, um, over the Christmas, New Year, whatever, we were getting ready to cook supper. And, um, Tiffany's mom had given us some, some, some beautiful, well-marbled beef tenderloin. Two of them. Two nice, fat beef tenderloins. And, and we put them in the fridge and we we're going to cook them on a certain night. And lo and behold, plans changed. We got sidetracked, whatever. And they still sat in the refrigerator. Okay. Now, my dude thinking, as long as it's in the fridge, it's supposed to be all right. You know, 
I learned that things can go south pretty quickly, even in the refrigerator. I got out those beef tenderloins. Well, these don't even, they don't look like what they did when I put them in there. I opened the bag and, oh my. That was flesh. It's dead. It was already dead. It was decaying. Even the best way that I knew how to preserve it, it was still decaying. That's why Paul said in his, in his letters to the he said bodily exercise profits little because you're going to die one day. I mean, you can't do anything about your body to stave off death. But the Corinthian church was living in the flesh and they were acting according to the flesh. And when you live according to the flesh, you don't mature in the faith. Now, you and I would agree that babies are cute. They are. I I love babies. They're they're cute. They're funny and cuddly and all those things. But when a baby is 50 or 60 years old, they ain't cute no more. I I mean, really, they're... they're, You got to... But let's think about it. Let's kind of... Take it one step further. What if you had a baby? A few days old, yeah, cooing, and a few weeks old, you know, reaching out with their little hands and whatever, and 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 a few more months old, they're crawling, a few more months a year, they're walking, and now they're babbling and talking a little bit. That's all cute. Why? Because they are progressing the way they are supposed to progress. But you and I would probably have, a, have some serious, some, some very serious questions and a lot of trips to the doctor and a lot of tests made if that baby kept getting older and older and it never started doing anything that a growing baby is supposed to do. Wouldn't you be concerned? Then why are we not equally concerned when people come into the church and they can get radically saved because we did some great Easter musical or some great Christmas performance or we held an awesome revival or they come and got saved because of some message that I was preaching and we rejoice and we, oh yeah, we're great. But then we forget to invest in their growth and then we wonder why they do what they do. And I'm telling you that sometimes in the church and even alone, you can have people who were saved decades ago and never be discipled, never be taught the word, how to grow in the word, no desire to grow in the word. And you can be 50, 60, 70, 80 years old and you're acting like a baby. If you want To help prevent divisions in the church, you start first by growing up. Not only do you grow up, there's another part of this text beginning in verse 5. Divisions in the church can be prevented by growing out. Divisions in the church can be prevented by growing out. Look at verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's, underline, fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. I want you to remember something. As long as you're a member of this church, as long as you've attended here, here's what I want you to remember. I am not your foundation. I don't ever want you dependent on me. I don't want you to, to, to be a follower of me. I want you to follow Jesus. That's who I'm going to follow. I'm not going to follow you. You ain't worthy. And I'm not worthy 
for you to follow me. But they had that problem. They started picking their favorite preachers is what they started to do. They started getting concerned about each other. They started forming their little groups and and they had them. They had their little cliques. Some of them just could not get past that new preacher. By George, Paul came here and he preached the word to us and we got saved. I'm not going to follow anybody else. He is my preacher. Then here comes Apollos. Oh, I like Apollos, man. He's young. He's articulate. He's educated. He comes and visits me without me. He can read my mind. And just know when to come to my house, I don't have to call him. I love him. He's going to be my guy. Mm -hmm. You start following a preacher, you're following the wrong person. Because you see what, what they forgot. You know who became the most important person? Their preacher. You know who should be our most important person aside from the Lord Jesus? The lost. All they could, they could not get over one another. That's why I'm telling you that divisions can be prevented in the church by us growing out. Did you know that the church, write this down, the church is the only organization, the only organization on the face of the earth whose sole existence is for its non-members. We are the only organization on planet earth whose existence is for the benefit of its non-members. What does that mean? It means that our mandate, our only mandate, is to take the gospel to the world. That's what we've been commanded to do, to make disciples of all nations. We come together temporarily to get each other excited and healed and educated and equipped. But what do we do? We don't stay here. That's why church is supposed to get out at a certain time. You know why? Because we are the church when we leave this building and God says, go. Go to your mission field. I prayed a while ago. Some of, some of you have a mission field right next door. Did you know that? Some of you have a mission field and a neighbor behind you or the next street over. Some of you have a, have a mission field with your coworker who lives in one town over. We all have a mission field to the ends of the earth. And rather than getting focused on one another and what one person's doing for you or not doing for you, let me just tell you something while I'm, I'm going to let you down at one point or time or another. So go ahead and get over it. Okay. Because let me tell you something, you're going to let me down and I'm going to get over it. We don't live per se for one another and one another's expectations. We live for Jesus's expectations. And the sooner that we can make sure that that's actualized in our life 100% of the time, I promise you that will probably heal half of the divisions that occur in the church. We grow up and we grow out. You know, a bumper sticker I saw in a car once said, Don't follow me, I'm lost too. And when we follow one another, yeah, we're going to wind up just as lost as that person is. He plainly says in this text that God gives the growth. Not me, not you, God grows. Because each of us have a job to do relative to the kingdom. I plant you plant. I come along and water a seed that you've planted. You can come along and water a seed that I have planted. But God gives the growth. You know what that tells me? 
is that I can't say a wrong word about the gospel. Did you know that? I, I, raise your hand if this applies to you. How many of you have ever been fearful or anxious about sharing the gospel because they may get, get you into an argument or ask you questions, and by the end of it, you'll probably convert them to Islam or something? I've had that happen. I, dude, that's... Okay, did you know that that's impossible? Because you don't control their decision. God will give the growth. He only wants you to tell. That's why we're called his witnesses. We're not judges. We are witnesses to the gospel. We tell what has happened and we tell it relative to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But we get caught up not on the harvest, but on the laborers of the harvest. On our cow farm in North Carolina, we, um, part of our acreage, we grow coastal Bermuda hay, uh, grass. And every so often, that grass will get a certain height that we want it to get. And we'll come by and cut it. And, and, and then someone else on another uh, implement will come by and get it raked into a row. And then someone else will come by with a baler. And we got two balers. We got a baler to make square bales, and we got a baler to make big round bales. And somebody will come along with a baler, depending on what we needed, and they'll bale it. And then, and then a lot of people, we come together with a truck and a trailer, and we go through that field and pick up the bales. Or if they're round bales, we get a, 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 a hay fork, and we pick them up and go stack them somewhere. Now, as we're doing that work, we're doing it for one purpose in mind. We want to feed hungry cows. That's our sole purpose. We look forward to a harvest so we can feed hungry cows. How silly and dumb would it be for me to focus on my dad or my brother or one of my nieces on a tractor behind me, raking or getting ready to bail, and all I focus is on, I just cheer them on, man, you're doing a great job, or look at what you're doing. You made a mistake, or you did this, or you did that. They don't do that. See, we don't focus on one another. None of us do. We, we don't focus on the laborer. Every single one of us do the work we are called to do and, and, and have to do. Why? Because we look forward to a harvest. That's why we planted in the begin with. It's why we do the work that we do. We look forward to the harvest. Why? Because there's hungry cows. Now let's translate that into the church. Now while I sure am proud of the servants that we have here, we can't get all caught up on the work and the laborers. We do what we do because there is a harvest. The Bible says the fields are white unto the harvest, and there are hungry people waiting to receive the word of God. That's why we do what we do. Divisions in the church can be prevented by growing up, by maturing in our faith. Divisions in the church can be prevented by growing out. And finally, divisions in the church can be prevented by growing right. By growing Right. Look at the final portion of this text in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now listen to this. Don't highlight 18 and, or 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. That, that is why divisions in the church are so sickening to the Lord. 
For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Every successful venture, uh, building venture, begins with the right foundation. When you build something, that's, you have to begin with the foundation. It can't begin anywhere else. But equally important is what is built on that foundation. See, the foundation can't be changed. That's why Paul said, I laid a foundation. He didn't choose the foundation. Paul's clear role in founding the church in Corinth was the gospel. He couldn't change the gospel. He just laid the foundation. He couldn't do anything else about it. What we do have a choice is what we put on that foundation. When my wife and I were purchasing our very first home, we were able to, uh, uh, to, to have a, it was a little house, but we were able to have it custom built. And it was exciting. We, we loved it. Because the, the contractor, he met with us and, and we looked at designs and styles and footprints and floor plans and we found something. And then throughout the process, we were able to pick out paint colors and light fixtures and, 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 and we could mark on the studs where we wanted receptacles to be and where we wanted this and where we wanted that. And, and I, you know what? I, I made every decision. My wife enjoyed and loved every decision I made regarding that. That's a lie. But it was an enjoyable process. I didn't see, I, I, you, you know what? Sometimes yes, ma'am is like, you know, the best thing you can ever say. Sometimes yes, ma'am is better than an I love you in marriage. It really is. But we had a great time. We kept meeting with the builder and discussing this and discussing that. But there's, there's one question he didn't ask us. He never asked us. He said, okay, how do you want us to build your foundation? How do you want that to look? Because that wasn't up to us. We, we couldn't choose the foundation. We could only choose what was built upon it as a church, all of our work. We can't change the foundation but we can choose what's built upon it. Now, there's two things that this text kind of alludes to when it comes to uh, um, the, the building. Number one is the right material, and then number two is the right motive. First of all, we've got to be careful as a church to build with the right material. Now, we could grow a church in a variety of ways using a variety of, of, of methods that I would consider fleshly, inappropriate, and just flat out wrong. We could. We, we could. we could make our worship service entertainment-driven. We could, we could have the flashy lights, and we, can do, we, could, we could really draw a crowd. I could, you know, wear a certain style of clothing and, and go barefoot if I wanted to and, and hop, skip, and jump and really put on a show. We can likewise host events where we just want fun to be held. We just want people to have fun and enjoy themselves, and that's, that's all we want to do. And, in other words, we could do a lot of things without the gospel. We could do a lot of things inappropriate to grow to church, but that's the wrong material. We could, we could make our services, we could even make our services biblically driven but emotionally, so emotionally filled that we get emotional decisions. I could preach a message and lead y'all in an invitation that would guilt trip y'all, every one of y'all be to the altar. I just don't do that. Because your walk and your decision between you and the Lord are between just that. It's between you and the Lord. God gives the growth, not me. But one day, all of that will be tried and tested. Some of that stuff will burn up. Wood, hay, straw. When divisions and times of testing really come to a church, that's what gets burned up first. Did you know that? But there is a foundation that we can lay. Gold, silver, precious stones. You build a house with those things and it will last. It will stand the test of time. I don't have time to go into what, what, what would all of that look like. I, I can say this. And I will say this. 
that all we have to worry about is the biblical accuracy of our programs and processes of ministry. If all of those that we do are in line with solid biblical principles that honor the word, honor the Lord, God will honor. That's all we have to worry about. We don't have to worry about entertainment. We have to worry about making things flashy in a certain way or what have you. I have to do that. Next thing is the motive. Why do you do what you do? Paul described three kinds of builders here in this text. First of all was the wise. That's in verse 14. That's the work that people do, you know, building the foundation that will survive. That's, that's wisdom. You have the unwise in verse 15, work that's burned up. But then you also have the destructive in verse 17. Now, the unwise and the unwise, we can understand that. But let me just kind of end on the... Let me end on the destructive. And I don't mean to end kind of negatively, but I only do this because I believe it's one of the epidemics in our churches. The destructive are the ones... who like to do the phone calling, the gossiping. The destructive are the ones who love to criticize, but never to the person. The one who wants to be right rather than to love. And I could go on. But when you destroy God's temple, you do more than what you think you're doing. When you're destroying that person, you're operating in the flesh, and you think that my attack is only to the flesh, but actually it's, it's wounding the spirit. It's wounding the temple of God. I don't have to restate it. I'm just going to read it. God will destroy that person in verse 17. I I don't know what you'll carry with you to the throne when you die. But one thing I pray that you will not carry with you, I pray that you won't carry a church split or at least being the cause of it. I hope that you will not carry sowing division and discord within the body of Christ. I pray that you will not meet the Lord with that on your conscience. Lord can forgive, yes, I know that, and will. But there's some damage that can be done to the body of Christ that takes a long time to heal. And church, I just don't think we have that much time left. I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to, you know, be prophetic. I just... I just don't think we have that much time left. And we have way too many people who are still lost. And we're too busy pleasing ourselves and being comfortable. We're being too busy being ignorant and ignoring on purpose. We're being too busy operating in the flesh. We're being too busy so concerned with ourselves, our appearances. We're concerned with our feelings. We're concerned with so many things other than How can I please Jesus? You remember that question I asked you last week? Am I pleasing, or who am I pleasing more? Am I pleasing myself, or am I pleasing Jesus? That's the ultimate question that we can ask to find ourselves in alignment with the things that I have brought out in this text. As we move to an invitation, there are three things I want you to remember. First of all is maturity versus immaturity. Immaturity is not a sin, but staying immature, I believe, is a sin. You need to repent and commit to a healthy spiritual diet. If you're not reading your Bible every single day, you need to immediately. 
If you're not ingesting the Word of God and letting your body, your spirit, that is, absorb the Word of God. You see, you can read, people can read the Word of God and it goes in one ear and out the other, so to speak. I'm talking about a healthy digestion of the Word of God will help you to grow. Being faithfully regular in attendance to corporate worship will help you to grow. Being part of our small group ministry will help you to grow. Being part and serving in a ministry team will help you to grow. That'll help you grow up. What about growing out? Well, it's the difference between participation and observation. So you can get caught up on me and how I comb my hair, what I dress like, and what I say, and who I go see. You can get caught up on all that if you like. But if your concern are those things, if your concern is whether or not the church is too hot, too cold, too loud, too soft, certain songs, certain people, you only become an observer. You need to repent. Maturity will help translate into a participation that offers constructive observations rather than criticisms of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Finally, I want you to think about the difference between ownership versus versus stewardship. That's growing right. Growing right means that we consider ourselves stewards, not owners. We are not the foundation. We only add to. Christ says in Matthew 16, verse 18, that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Growing right means that we will construct what will last, not on temporal things and not on opinionated matters. I'm telling you, for a book of ancient words, they are as real and relevant as I have ever known these words to be. They are right, they speak to right where we are, and they speak right to the battles that we face. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to think about something. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to imagine, with your mind's eye, a radar screen. I want you to imagine a radar screen like you would see in a weather forecast. There's a storm coming. It's coming up from the south. It's moving your way. Nothing really that you can do about it, but there's some things that maybe that you've been practicing that will help. Imagine your spiritual maturity as a wall, big brick wall. Would it be big enough to sidetrack that storm? What about your passion for the lost? Or your struggles with people sitting next to you or one pew over or in another section? Are you too concerned with people than you are with Jesus? If that was a wall, how big would that be? What about what you're doing within the local church? Are you just showing up? Or are you a part of the kingdom work that's going on here? Imagine that being a wall. Imagine your your stewardship of the time and the gifts that God has given to you. If that was a wall, how how big would that be? Would you have enough built up to sidetrack that storm and send it out over the ocean? If you're like me, maybe one or more of those walls is maybe barely off the ground or it's certainly not as tall as I want it to be. The Bible makes it clear on how we respond to to these things, to the needs that we have in our life. It's called repentance. And I promise you, that's not an ugly word. That's a beautiful word. Repentance means that, that we acknowledge that my way of doing something is wrong. It wasn't right. 
It may not have been immoral, but it's, it's not what God would have wanted me to do. And when I repent, it means that I'm going to say, God, the way I was trying, it wasn't measuring up. It wasn't helping. So, God, I'm going to give this part of my life to you. Maybe it's my maturity. Maybe it's my participation in, in, in the life of the local church. Maybe it's my ability to kind of think beyond our walls and think globally and think about my neighbor. Think about my coworker. God, I'm just going to give this to you and I'm going to ask you to forgive me. And I'm going to follow you. By faith, I'm going to follow you. That's repentance. And it's an awesome thing. This morning, I'm going to call you to repentance if you need to. If you find yourself in that position, that's what I'm asking you to do, to repent. That you can come to this altar or even right where you're sitting and you can find the forgiveness and the strength that you need right from Jesus. All you got to do is talk to him. You say, Pastor, I, I want you to pray with me. Could you do that? I would love to. I would love to take the word of God and I can encourage you from the word and, and help you to find the peace that you're looking for. Right now, I'm going to pray for you. And then this altar is going to be open. We're going to sing a hymn of a response. And as you sing, I want you to consider how you're going to respond. And I hope that you'll be found obedient in your response. So let us pray. Father, I've done all that I can do. But Lord, I, I just hope that the word has made the difference in someone's life this morning. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what's in their life. I don't know the struggles that they faced as they walked out the door of their home this morning. But I do know that with Jesus, there is hope. And and there's no judgment here. God, the, 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 the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're in the same boat. All of us mess up from time to time. But with Jesus, you can make it right. I pray, Father, that we would find the forgiveness that we're looking for, that we would have the strength to repent, that, Father, we would be honest with ourselves. And, Lord, our response would be in accordance with your will. In Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org. Thank you.